0: Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we talk with Dr. Jason Kinderchuk about vaccine hesitancy and what's to come in terms of the pandemic. Travel much? Claire Newell of Travel Best Bet sorts out all of the extra layers of COVID tests, vaccines, and quarantine as Canadians fly the friendly skies. We have sex, we make love. What does making love actually mean? The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. Well, the pandemic, which was predictable and highly preventable, presses on. Good evening, and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, the show that educates everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, sexual health educator, and uh, lately I feel like all things COVID. Good evening, Leo. How are you? <laughs> Hi, it's good. Oh, it's good to see you. Nice again. to see you. Yeah, yeah have yeah. you forever. <laughs> you're yeah, there, you're there in the East Coast with those Red Sox fans. So like, uh, Went to a Red Sox game. I gotta say, yes, yeah. it was awesome. Right behind home plate, uh, and it was a night that it was pouring, and uh, they were thinking, is it going to be canceled? Is it going to be rescheduled? And no, no, the uh, did they lose? <laughs> no, they there? won. It was an uh, uh, it was an amazing unfortunately. game. Unfortunately, anyway. <laughs> Um, but anyway, great to see you. Great to have you behind the boards there. As you know, I need all the help I can get tonight on the program. Of course, we always discuss sex, so put those kidlets to bed. And um, we're also going to be talking about travel. <laughs> that has changed. It has added a whole new level to um, to travel. I'm, I, it's unbelievable out there. I, I would say on the roads and in the air. Uh, also going to be talking about rare diseases and uh, what, what making love actually means. I might have a prize or two to give away, so stay tuned. I do owe somebody, um, Leo, a a prize, a book, and I have not forgotten. If you are listening tonight, I promise you I have not forgotten. I owe two people the diet plan. I will get the nutrition plan. I will get those out to you as well. Um, We've got lots to talk about on the program tonight, um, but right now...
1: And now,
2: Maureen's Health headline.
0: And don't forget, if you are ill or um, are not feeling well or have any symptoms at all, you can go and see your doctor virtually or by phone. Or maybe you go in to see the doctor if they're fully vaccinated and all their staff as well. Uh, If you want to be a part of the program, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. And you're probably going to want to call this guy. He is the assistant professor of viropathology viral pathogenesis at the Department of Medical Microbiology, University of Manitoba. He studies, fortunately, emerging and re-emerging viruses, including Ebola and COVID-19, and looks like that's going to go on for a while. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk joins me on the line. How are you this evening, Dr. Kindertuck? Uh
2: You know what? I am getting ready for five days uh, out, out in the wilderness, doing nothing but, but fishing and, uh, and hanging out the lake. So, oh,
0: wow. Yeah, nice. It, it, it,
2: Certainly, yeah, it's it, it, it kind of, uh, it's needed. Selfishly,
0: will you be back next Sunday? <laughs> I will be back. Excellent. I will be back. Because while you're in the woods, the world is going to change once again, as it does week to week. It's un. Believable that we are in the position we are in. It it was highly preventable, but much like Alberta, um, it was highly predictable. They're they're pulling back on uh, like nobody ever saw that coming. They're pulling back on loosening the restrictions because of the surprise, surprise increase in hospitalizations. I mean. It must be shocking to you to realize that we're in the same position or, or, well, not exactly the same, and that's a question I have for you. A year ago, we did not have a vaccine. We now have a vaccine. People were nervous. When are we going to get a vaccine? It's going to take four years, and all of a sudden, we have a vaccine, and yet half the U.S. is not vaccinated. Um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what percentage of Canada but, um, is not vaccinated, but in large part due to anti-vaccinations, anti-vaxxers, as well as um, inaccessibility, and lack of supply. And so we have a number of um, issues. Can you believe we are where we are?
2: It's it's frustrating, right? So, you know, I think the the, the issue is that we kind of, we maybe get into this idea of looking at the pandemic as if this is something, you know, we've seen before with influenza. and, And, you know, we kind of base our assumptions based on that as far as when it should end and what it should look like problem is is i think very much we are at this point where we have to throw that out the window certainly if we learned anything through covid it's that we can't necessarily anticipate what is going to come down the pike uh within a couple weeks time or a couple months time and that's the frustrating part i think people are getting tired of that aspect and then of course we we also see the light at the end of the tunnel which is the vaccines have worked amazingly well now we're seeing that oh wait a second we have a contingent of people that do not want to get vaccinated. And we are at that cusp where you know, that could actually make or break the difference between us being able to get complete control over this or, or be battling this onwards for, for the coming months. So I, I think you're seeing that with everybody, and, and certainly the, the frustration is, uh, is palpable.
0: Now, now, a year and a half ago, we were frightened. We were sent home. Uh, We were looking at our relationships that, uh, you know, my uh, practice increased significantly. People realizing I can't spend 24-7 with this person or these children or my parents or whomever. Um, Weddings went on hold and university admissions or, or staying on campus went on hold. Lives went on hold. People were afraid. They were scared. They were hoping for a cure. Uh, a treatment it uh and and really that was unknown at that time and then this was politicized how much do you think uh, politics have played a role in uh, this pandemic uh stop you know preventing the progression where we can get back to a normal life
2: i think it's greater than we've probably seen any time before in history uh, you know and, and i would have to ask somebody that's a know a history or at least a political history expert to you know to weigh in on on that statement but certainly i think that you've seen that division right and you've seen that that right versus left polarization of uh, of the pandemic and it's listen i I will say for me and and others like me it's a bit tough being a centrist and trying to you know kind of (laughs) sit in the middle and say we don't know everything. We have to find balance in this, uh-huh. um, and that's and that's been difficult. It's certainly, right now, with you know with where vaccines are, and vaccinations are, we're again seeing that aspect of you know this division between how we should treat people that that have not yet gotten vaccinated. And I think that's difficult. We we have to somehow get people enticed to get vaccinated, um, but at the same time, understand that that it's unbelievably important that we do move ahead.
0: Now we're seeing more and more mandates, fortunately. It started with the film industry, I think. I'd I'd like somebody to weigh in, a professional to weigh in on that too. But it started with the film industry. It seemed that Netflix actually mandated vaccinations um, for at least people in their uh, green zone, people who had close proximity to unmasked actors while they're performing. Um, Disney is following suit. The federal government um, has now... Um, implemented uh, mandated vaccinations for people who are going to go on planes and trains. Um, what do you, what effect do you think that's going to have? I know that's probably more well, of a think, political question than a scientific question, but no,
2: no, it's, it's a great question, right? I, I think. Listen, when, when I think about vaccine mandates, immediately I think listen, these are immunization records, right? We we have to get you know, to this point of realizing that we, what we are seeing are, are basically the requirement for immunization records for for people. I think that you're seeing that, you know, in to be fair, they, they have been working as far as enticing more people to get vaccinated. And I think this question of how do we return back to, uh, you know, a normal economy or a more normal existence, we're going to require people to be vaccinated to cut transmission. So I think you are going to see some normalcy coming up with that. There are people that are still... Uncomfortable with the idea of a mandate for for something health related. But I would argue that after 18 months of going through this and and seeing how it's faltered everything across the board in in our society, in our communities, we need to do something to be able to get back on board. And, And vaccination at this point in time is our best possibility of doing that.
0: And, you know, people think that they're going to be microchipped or that they're, they're, they're I actually heard somebody say that they feel that their workouts aren't as, they're not doing as well in their workouts since the vaccination, which is just simply outrageous and ridiculous because I find that I'm thinner, richer, and much prettier since I was vaccinated so. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's time to let people know that there is a positive side (laughs) to these vaccinations. I mean, why is this so negative? Most people go to traditional school. There are people who are homeschooled, but you know, people need to have a series of vaccinations before they can actually uh, go to school. And I mean, look at, the chickenpox you know highly transmissible yeah. and this is how transmissible this is if you're somebody out there who's hesitant to get the vaccination i would love to hear from you the number to call is 18773999898 or or if you're frustrated out there about how the pandemic is going i mean i'm frustrated i have to say i'm a fairly patient person but i mean i just cannot believe where where we're at and i know that the us which has way more people than we do but you know sometimes we can see we're in a better state but but some of the states down there—Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, Louisiana, Alabama—you know—they're having teenagers in their ICUs. There, I think it, uh, I heard uh, recently in the last day or two that um, there are no ICU beds left for pediatrics for children and so you have to wait for a child to die in the ICU uh, in order for your child to be admitted to the ICU because there are so many uh, children in ICUs and dying with this. I mean, it's outrageous. Well, And I think Part of
2: the reality is that we're coming, you know, I guess maybe becoming a little bit more uh, comfortable with now is that initially in this pandemic, we saw this as being very much skewed towards people that were elderly or people that had a number of underlying health issues. The reality is that, no, the fact is this virus, if you give it the opportunity to transmit across a very wide range of people, it will make many people sick, perhaps younger people, far lower rate, but you can still see severe disease in those younger age groups. And as you get more people infected, those numbers are going to go up. And I think that's the difficulty is we we have to somehow change what the original narrative was so that, you know, there is an understanding that, no, those things that we thought were correct or people believed were correct actually were not. So it's difficult. It it, it certainly is. It's angering and frustrating uh, and tear jerking. On a daily basis, to, to to see the news coming out of the U.S. and, and certainly across the globe, um, and knowing that we are we are going to see some you know aspect of of this fourth wave here, I don't think we know what it's going to look like yet.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, Marine McGrath hosting this program for you. Doctor Jason Kindrachuk is my guest. He studies all things viruses, new and emerging, emerging and re-emerging viruses like. Covid nineteen and Ebola, Doctor Kinderchuk Thanks for staying on the line. We have some callers here. I've got James from Nanaimo, British Columbia, on the line. Good evening, James. Good evening. How are you?
2: Good. Thank you.
0: Good. Did you have a question or a comment?
2: Uh, yeah. I'm. Well, basically, I I haven't got the vaccine yet, and uh, and the main reason is just because it it's so new. Like we don't know the long term effects. And the chances of me getting sick from COVID are relatively small.
0: And how old are you, James, if you don't mind my asking? I'm 37. Do you have any underlying health conditions? Not really, no. Do, do you wear a mask wherever you go? Are you going, are you mingling with the public?
2: Um, for the most part, not really, no.
0: Okay. Uh, Dr. Um, let what what are your comments on the vaccine is new? Yeah, a couple a
2: couple things. Right. So certainly for mRNA vaccines, uh, you know, we know that they've been in development for, for a couple of decades. There's been multiple clinical trials going back to, uh, you know, to to well past the, the prior 10 years. So we know that certainly the technology is not new for these vaccines. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that when we look at adverse events for vaccines, adverse events and certainly any sort of severe adverse events occur within the first two months of vaccination. We don't see long lasting adverse events in in vaccines. This is one of the I think one of the fallacies that comes up when we think about this is that there are these long term or lifelong potential effects of vaccines. And that hasn't been the case historically. The second aspect of you know this idea of I you know of people feeling like they they likely are not going to get infected or get sick. Is the fact that we're not concerned just about somebody getting sick? That's obviously a, a, a big, you know, a big concern for all of us. But we have to also think about this idea of transmission in our communities. So for me, vaccination, yes, great, makes make sure that I don't put any stress on the healthcare system. But far more importantly, are the people around me. I have in laws that that are well into their you know 80s and 90s. I have family members that have underlying health complications. I work with people that have underlying health complications. Those are the people that I'm actually genuinely concerned about, that I want to ensure I do everything I can to protect.
0: But there is still uh, a chance that James can get sick. He somehow thinks he's immune absolutely. from getting, and he can get very ill. 90% uh, you know of the hospitalized people, people my, what's that? My, ch-
2: my chances of getting sick are, are low. And the other thing is you can be fully vaccinated and you can still give it to people that are sick.
0: And That's absolutely carry- that's absolutely correct. But let me just ask you this question, James. I I know of a guy who is 46. He's a little bit older than you are, yep. and he fully vaccinated. And he had a positive test, and then he had a positive uh, PCR test, two negative PCR tests, uh, one negative rapid test. A couple days later, he started no symptoms. A couple days later, started to get sick. Then got a positive test the next day. He is really ill, and, and it's unusual that somebody's fully vaccinated. But, you know, he's pretty sick, like he's got the flu. He's not hospitalized. But it's the unvaccinated, 90% of unvaccinated. This virus is so random, people don't even know where they're getting it from. Is that a fair statement, Dr. Kinderchuck? And then we want to go to Amanda uh, in Maple Ridge. 100%.
2: And, and I think look at the, the age groups and demographics for people that ended up in the hospital during the third wave. This was not just people that were elderly and, and that had underlying health costs. I think that again is one of the fallacies that we need to to really change.
0: James, I hope you and ten of your closest (laughs) anti-vaxxers get vaccinated. We we all got to do it. We got we've got to get back to a normal life, James. Anyway, I hopefully you'll do some more research and call into some other radio shows and get some more information. I've got Amanda on the line from Maple Ridge. Good evening, Amanda. Oh hi hi. I just have a quick question. I've heard now from three um, young women. They're in between twenty and twenty-four. Who aren't getting vaccinated or don't want to get vaccinated because they're afraid that it, what it might do to them? Because they're thinking in the next couple of years they want to have babies. Fertility this issues. This is a new thing, and I'm just like, so can you answer that question? If it is really a concern, yeah. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Kindershuck, uh, go ahead.
2: Sure, I, and actually, you know, there, there have been a ton of people. I think Dr. Jen Gunter is probably one of the people that's been, uh, yeah. you know, on on top of this call for a long time. Was one of the oldest? things that we've heard about vaccines is this concern about fertility and how it affects onward fertility. We don't see that. Certainly with, with these vaccines, there have been no indications. And in fact, what we've seen is certainly throughout the, the course when uh, the vaccine trials were occurring, there were women that, that ended up getting pregnant during the time, although you couldn't be enrolled if you were pregnant uh, at that point. We've seen certainly people afterwards that have gotten pregnant post-vaccination as they've been rolled out across the globe. And the biggest thing is that when we think again about this idea of COVID-19, there is a big risk for women that are pregnant to get more severe disease. So the vaccines, again, are things we need to think about in terms of protection of ourselves and as well of, of uh, any babies that, that, that may be coming down the line as well.
0: And, and a record number of pregnant women were admitted to intensive cares across the country uh, with COVID last month. And, you know, there are concerns about vaccine hesitancy amongst expectant mothers. And I know doctors are, are very concerned mm. about that. And it's a very common question we get in our yeah. clinical yeah. practice yeah. as and well. And like, I'm kind of wondering where this, it, it, it seems to me to be misinformation yeah. that's coming from somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my things is where is this coming from? I'd like to talk to all these girls. They're they're part exactly. of my group. And just to say, where are you getting this? So, All right. Well, thank you so much for the calls. And Dr. Kindrichuk, once again, thank you so much for uh, joining me this evening. It's a hot topic, as usual. <laughs> And um, sure. so until next week, have a great time at your uh, lake in the woods.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, Maureen. Take care.
0: You too. All right. Always interesting with Dr. Kindershock and the pandemic. Anyway, coming up next, we're going to be talking about uh, travel. And uh, I'm going to share a few stories about my own travel. I'm Maureen McGrath. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Um, You know, have you thought about travel? I would definitely reconsider that or know what you're getting yourself into. Um, This week I had the wonderful occasion to travel back from the U.S. I have uh, dual citizenship, and so I can go between the borders. But do I want to ever again after that experience? Joining me on the line is Canada's travel guru, Claire Newell of of Travel Best Bets. Claire, good evening.
1: Good evening, Maureen. Oh no, I want to hear all about it. I mean, I think I I heard from you before the events all started, but how did it all go? You should tell us because I'm 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 so interested. I've got both my daughter and my husband in the U.S. at the moment, so ah. I'd really like to hear.
0: You know, that would have been helpful for me as well, just to you know get you know what happened, how did it go, and um, I did I did you get the video that I sent you of all the luggage? I didn't. Oh, I sent you this video, and and it was a surreal actually. After getting through, now I have a Nexus card, so I get through a little bit faster. And I don't really okay. don't want anybody else out there to go and get Nexus now. In fact, I don't even <laughs> think you can get Nexus.
1: <laughs> and it's, yeah, but, it's suspended at the moment. I mean, there. are oh good. The, I, I can imagine <laughs> when they start to allow people to get it again, it's going to be mad. I have one. I can't imagine traveling without it anymore. But yes. Yeah. So well, you would.
0: I did go through that, that took me about an hour and 15 minutes to go through Nexus, which is unusual. And then other people who didn't have Nexus, it took them about two to three hours. But you know, what happened to me prior to travel is that I, I I had to get a COVID test and I had no problem with access to a COVID test, but it's the timing, right? You have to have it within 72 hours of your flight. I I feel like I I actually thought I need a travel agent. And then I thought of you. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, I know. I booked so many flights, I have to say, and canceled them and rebooked them and canceled them. And at the end of the day, I don't even know because I wanted to get the timing right and I didn't want to get jet lag and I had all these things to consider. And I ended up flying to Toronto uh, very in a, you know, I flew. First class, which is a nice. false economy for me um, because I knew and then I stayed in Toronto because I didn't want to get jet lag. And nonetheless, the, the we were late getting out of Boston. And then we sat on the tarmac for a bit, but not as long as some other people. Uh, some people got, uh, got laid out of, they were delayed out of San Francisco and LA, the West Coast due to weather, two to three hour delays, and then sitting on the tarmac for two hours, three hours. And so it was a, you know, for some people, it was a 15, 16 hour day, and then only to stand in those lines um, to go through. And I, I did fill out the ArriveCan Can app, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. And um, they never really even asked me. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if I uploaded my COVID test in there (laughs) because I haven't had time to go back. Did I do it? I must have. And my vaccination status. But this adds a whole new level. And then once I finally arrived and got my suitcase, which I typically don't even check baggage, but there was uh, every carousel was full. And there were rows of bags um, in between all the carousels, you know, three deep. And people just aimlessly walking around looking for their bags, extremely frustrated. It was crazy. This was 10 o'clock on, oh, I landed about 10 o'clock on Friday night and I got to the hotel at about one thirty in the morning.
1: Yowzers. Okay. So not a lot of this surprises me. And the reason is, is that um, way back July the 19th, the federal government announced new border rules. And a lot of the, um, for us as Canadians, you as as a dual citizen, um, if you are fully vaccinated, you're able to travel without having that 14-day quarantine. Um, also, during that announcement, they said that fully vaccinated citizens from the U.S. and permanent residents can enter as long as they have um They've been fully vaccinated 14 days prior to coming into Canada, and all the documents uploaded into the Arrive Can app. So you basically had the, you know, the triple whammy of the U.S. citizens starting to fly again, the airlines kind of getting back into routine that they haven't been, um, mm-hmm. airports having to scale up again. And one of the things that I'm finding is people are kind of underestimating two main things, the lineups and the expense. So, um, the COVID expense, um, that the layers that it adds on for the pre-flight testing is quite substantial. And I don't think people realize just how much it costs. So first of all, going to the U S you do not need to prove that you're vaccinated at the moment, but you do need to have a COVID test. And that can be an antigen test, which actually is the cheaper of the, of the tests. There's antigen, which are the really quick ones. You can get a, a test result back like literally in under an hour, and then there's the PCR. And the PCR test, as well as the proof of vaccination, it's what's going to get you back into Canada And allow you to bypass that 14-day quarantine, which everybody wants to do. I mean, why would you even want to travel if you had to quarantine? So if you're unvaccinated or you're partially vaccinated and you want to come back into Canada, there's no changes. You still have to have the pre-flight test, an on-arrival test once you land in Canada, a day eight test, and you have to quarantine for 14 days. It's... Hideous.
0: And now that was the thing. You still have to have a quarantine plan though. Like I would have had to have a quarantine plan. And that was my question to you. If I go through Toronto and I thought of this in the middle of the night after I rebooked it for the 88th time. um, Oh my gosh. Are they going to realize that I'm going to Vancouver and are they going to potentially quarantine me in Toronto? And do I have to have a quarantine plan? So initially I'd booked two separate flights, two separate legs of the journey. And then I switched it back that next morning to one flight. Flight, which is why I was forced to um, go to fly first class, which didn't help my jet lag at all. I want to say so, don't even think about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this is a, your your questions were so good because um, right now no question is a silly question. Your question is, I'm being asked all the time. If I'm flying back to Canada, but my ultimate destination is say Vancouver, like yours was, and you were going through Toronto. Can you do the layover? Well, luckily, you were actually clearing customs in Toronto. So once you were through, you were fine um, because you had your PCR tests and you did have everything filled out and arrived. Can and I know you're not sure if you uploaded everything, but that is one of the things that a lot of people are, um, you know, being denied the exemption of the 14 day quarantine and told that they have to go home and quarantine is because of the fact that they don't have everything uploaded into the Arrive Can app. So even if you think no one's going to look at it, make sure you do it. Um, an example, uh, my husband and daughter both did antigen tests when they were flying to the U.S. Um, my, sorry, my, my daughter was actually crossing the land border, which you cannot normally do. She mm-hmm. is, uh, uh got a student visa. They never looked at her antigen test. Um, my husband was, you know, once he had gone through and checked in and was waiting in the airport, he said, No one asked me so far for my test result. Mm-hmm. However, they did ask him when he was getting on board the flight. So, right. I know it, you that's know, when that's they the thing. You. you just have to do it all. That's when they ask you. Yeah. That's right.
0: Yeah, I which I didn't it's realize that. It's very confusing for people. I didn't realize that either, I, and I just have an innate fear of authority. Probably from going to parochial me too. schools. <laughs> and so when when the <laughs> woman at the uh, uh, the airline asked me, she was saying, "Do you have your PCR test? Do you have your PCR?" Test? And I was just saying, uh, "Do I? No, my bags aren't labeled." I was so nervous, and she's like, "No, do you have your PCR test?" I just wasn't expecting the airline to ask me the PCR test. Do you have any travel stories out there? If you do, give me a call. Are you afraid to travel? I don't blame you. 1-877-399-9898. Call in with your questions for Claire Newell, our our travel expert and Canada's travel guru of travel best bets. Um, So now what are your thoughts on, I, I will say, I just want to say one more thing. It does add, I'm a seasoned traveler i travel for work i have traveled extensively i fall asleep on planes Uh, you know, I, I have to say I was attracted to the, the lie flat beds, which is why, you know, (laughs) I did the final booking on, on a lie flat bed, Uh, but it, you know, it's complete waste because I can fall asleep sitting up in coach. No problem. I can sleep anywhere. I love sleep value it tremendously. And I'm really good at it. (laughs) Um, but, (laughs) um, I will say that this has added a whole new level to travel. And, you know, in the midst of it, like, I have another uh, flight booked a little bit down the road, and I've already gotten a your travel has been changed, you know, we have changed your flight. And it's like, you know, they're changing my flight that changes the COVID test. You know, I mean, you know, potentially, if I get a notice, a notification. So how difficult is travel going to be? And what's the impact of the federal government uh, mandating uh, vaccinations for people on trains, planes and automobiles? No, buses, I guess. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, hey, if they're commercial, that's coming, I would suspect. And it's so interesting. I I wasn't surprised by Transport Canada making that announcement. It was kind of slim on details. I think they will have to address a few things. But this is coming. I mean, this is coming by October, and, you know, they they have said all passengers, air rail and cruise. Um, What I think they're going to have to address is um, what will – People who are medically ineligible for mm-hmm. the, for the vaccination. How will that be addressed as well as children under 12 because they cannot be vaccinated? But I think they will just simply have to do a COVID test prior to travel. Like so many other, you know, the, the, the golden ticket seems to be having a vaccine. It makes it easier. It makes it less costly, uh, less hoops to go through. Um, because what I'm finding now is even hotels. Uh, This just happened. Uh, Hotels and popular destinations are now mandating that hotel guests either show proof of vaccination status or a recent negative COVID-19 test. Um, Beginning uh, just this coming week, August 16th, Puerto Rico is going to implement those rules. Earlier this month, Mazatlan, Mexico began requiring the same. So what I'm recommending is that travelers check hotel requirements before booking. Just last week, we heard that United Airlines is the first major U.S. airline to require all of its employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Will that mean that they will eventually make their passengers? I'm not really sure. But we know here in Canada, if you want to travel, all passengers will need uh, to be vaccinated. And you, it, it's not like you can't travel without being vaccinated. It just means you're going to have to quarantine or you're going to have to pay for COVID tests. Mm-hmm. And it, it's quite cumbersome for that very reason. And, and the, the reasons you mentioned, because you are a seasoned traveler and you, you yourself are, are kind of Kind of, I guess, overwhelmed. I am too by all of it. I travel for work, and I've—it's uh, kind of my life. And I'm finding that I'm kind of overwhelmed, making sure that my daughter has everything she needs, my husband, my son, and and my first flight won't be until September, uh, when I'm going to the U.S. But there's all these added layers. I'm trying to figure out where I can get my PCR test and where... I can help you with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm, you know, I've I've kind of figured it out. But it's so hard for someone who's seasoned, like yourself and myself. I can't imagine for someone who only does it once a year. And that's why we're hearing more and more um, travel agents being told, hey, I I haven't used a travel agent for 15 or 20 years, but I'd like to use one now. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, and there's so much work to figure out what's actually required. One thing I will share for any listener who is thinking about going anywhere, it doesn't matter if you're going to the States or you're going – any country, please make sure you visit the website COVIDControls.co. It's very, very simple. The, there's another one that's IATA.org, and it, it's it's good as well. They have a destination tracker in there, in there. But moving forward, COVIDControls.co is something that I think any traveler needs to have uh, kind of locked in their favorites on their On their computer. There's also a toggle. You can switch between vaccinated or unvaccinated and and it changes the rules accordingly. Um, And we do know that there is a humongous pent up demand. In fact, there was a statistic that was put out by a survey that Kayak did on July 19th, which was the day that I mentioned that the federal government announced some easing of requirements for the border rules. That day alone, there was a 322% spike in searches by Canadians, mainly to U.S. destinations because it was, um, you know, I, I think I feel like kind of the U.S. is deemed safe, mm-hmm. one of the safe places like Hawaii, um, the Hawaiian Islands. Um, people are interested in going to some big cities, um, Los Angeles, New York. Southern California, of course, is so popular, Florida. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the world hasn't had the vaccination rollouts that the, the likes of the U.S. have. But, um, yeah, it's been a very interesting road. And I think that there's going to be more hoops that people are going to have to face uh, in the in the near future. I mean, just on Friday, we had that rule, the new rules come out by Transport Canada about just traveling within Canada needing to be vaccinated to go on commercial
0: Right, Uh, exactly. You know, it's interesting. You say that, um, you know, the interest has increased by 322%. That's about the percentage that hospitalizations have increased of late. And it's 90% of the unvaccinated people. Um, Claire Newell, always a pleasure to have you. And I want to thank you so much that um, I was able to reach out to you. (laughs) And you are now my travel agent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that the travel agent
0: is going to reemerge as the new wedding planner, you know, of travel.
1: (laughs) I think so, too. <laughs> I think so too. We're we're already feeling it, and there's so few of us now. You know, really, really hit about a thousand agencies have closed permanently.
0: Exactly. I know what a shame. Anyway, well, you're always there. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Claire?
1: Uh, probably the website, which is TravelBestBets.com. dot com. And thanks again for having me. Have a great night.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program tonight. I have a very special mother on the program this evening. Sarb son, Maytab, is three years old, and he was recently diagnosed with spinal muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive genetic disease causing the muscles to become increasingly weak, leading to loss of motor skills and eventually impacting his ability to breathe. Early diagnosis and early treatment is essential. Sarbjad is here to talk about her story, advocate for her son, and also shine a light on support for individuals living with disabilities and spark these community conversations which are so important. Good evening, Sarbjad. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Thank you, Maureen, for having me. It's my pleasure. You're very welcome. Now, um, your son, Maytab, is three years old and was recently diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. Um, what what was that like when you got that diagnosis for your son?
3: You know, it was like we are on a boat ride that's never going to end sailing. You know, we it took us a year to get the right do, right diagnosis. We were seeing, we saw different specialists. He was seeing occupational therapists, physiotherapists. Um, it it was not an easy diagnosis in, in terms of, you know, getting a rare disease diagnosis. I think it's not easy for any parent. But we also had a sense of relief, at least knowing that what he had, because we were seeing so many specialists and uh, we were seeing uh a, a increase in his symptoms. So just knowing what he had, give us relief, but
0: it was I, difficult to get a rare disease diagnosis. I am sure. And um, so tell me a little bit about that journey. I would imagine that he started walking um, at, at as any uh, baby would start to walk around. Well, some start as early as nine months or maybe 13 months or so. Did you notice anything at that time, or, or was that a typical uh, development?
3: Um, so... So when Madhav was born, uh, we had no health issues. He he was achieving all his growth milestones that, you know, we normally expect kids to achieve. Uh, but only, it was around the two to two and a half years of age we started noticing that he would lose his balance and fall down uh, more frequently while walking. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we noted was that he could not climb up the stairs like, uh, like my daughter did, um, you know, so... And also, he had trouble standing up from a sitting position from the from the floor, so that that made us think that maybe there's something going on, you know. And that actually, uh, those few symptoms were the ones that we 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 started looking answers for.
0: And, and did you ever expect it to be a rare disease?
3: No, never. We actually had never even heard of SMA before Metab's diagnosis. At all this time, we thought that maybe he's just having some. Uh, delays in his uh, gross motor skills, and he'll probably catch up, but no, we were not expecting uh, that it would be SMA.
0: And, and August is SMA Awareness Month, and, and your little guy turns four on August 21st. What has his b- course been like uh, since the diagnosis?
3: Um. You know, in, initially it was very tough, but I think knowing that there are treatment options available there's so much hope these days for uh, for communities or families who are actually uh, fighting SMA. There are few. There are actually uh, two treatments available for SMA patients right now, uh, and there are few in the pipeline um, that are being. Uh, researched and developed. So there is hope. So I think that that hope is actually that uh, keeps up the spirit. And also, without um, gets his treatment. Uh, it's called Raza. He gets it every four months via uh, a lumbar puncture, which is in straight terms, it's an injection in his spine. Uh, so we have seen certain improvements in him and we are hopeful that, you know, he'll, uh, with, in conjunction with physiotherapist um if if not any uh, achievement in his gross motor skills at least he's stable you know he's he's stable with his uh energy levels or with the strength that he has currently
0: and is he able to walk and um maintain his balance
3: yes yes he's able to walk um he does a lot of physiotherapy um, he's he you know the 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 other thing that we noticed was he's able to climb stairs now. Of course, he needs to hold on to a railing to climb up and down the stairs. So that has been a huge achievement on his part. Um, he's such a hard worker, you know. Like I mean, uh-huh. he does exercises every day, uh, aqua therapy and physiotherapy. So
0: even at four years old, like his resilience and determination is applaudable. That is fantastic. He sounds like a little doll. Um, and what impact has this had? Now you have another child. You have an older daughter. What yes. impact has has this had on her and the family?
3: You know, the the when we got the diagnosis, it was it was during the lockdown in Ontario uh, in December. So you know, in addition to getting a rare DZU diagnosis, plus you know, <laughs> living in this pandemic situation mm-hmm. where. Like uh, she was, she was doing um, online school. That wasn't helping her because she's just seven years old, right? So mm-hmm. she, I mean, her um, interaction with other kids was very limited because of this whole lockdown. And then uh, with Metab, we were in and out of the hospital, so her anxiety levels were really up, you know. And I think with any rare disease uh, parent, if you have another child, it's 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 that balancing piece because. You also don't want to, because she has her own needs, right? So we have to manage her needs as well. She's just, she's still a kid as well, so that balancing part can be challenging at times. You know, like for example, Natab has so many appointments, and um, you know, like put me and my husband work full time. So and right. balancing my daughter's needs, so that balancing part is challenging at times.
0: I'm sure it can be difficult, but I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it also teaches compassion. In, in children at, a, at an early age and 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 sometimes, um, well, you know, to quote you uh, so powerfully, um, when we were talking earlier, you said that acceptance starts at home um, because yeah. there can be uh, issues with um, for people who have diseases, chronic conditions or especially rare diseases. Um, so if somebody, uh, had a child is listening out there and, and just got a rare disease diagnosis for them, or was was dealing with um, a chronic condition. What would you say to them?
3: You know, I, as you mentioned, you know, I believe in one thing that it, that acceptance begins at home, right? Um, yes, SMA changed our lives in so many ways that we had not envisioned. But again, SMA does not dictate our lives. We will not let SMA dictate uh, our lives, right? Yes, um, maybe my child's development differs from that of other children, right? But that doesn't make him less valuable, less human, or less important, right? So we need to understand that aspect of any kind of, I think, chronic ailment or illness, right, that I think with empowering those individuals, um, you know, they are equally capable of achieving full potential, especially if there's equity created through inclusion, awareness, and advocacy.
0: Well, I think that your little guy, Mehat, is so incredibly lucky to have you as a mother and uh, to be in your family. And uh, thank you so much for helping to raise awareness about SMA Awareness Month, Spinal Muscular Atrophy. And where can people go to get more information
3: you know, there's a great website. Uh, actually, the, um, it's curesma.ca. Um, people can gain um, any kind of information through that. And there's also there's another great initiative called smashingbarriers.ca. So if anyone is interested in knowing more about it, they can visit those two
0: two websites. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sarvaj, for joining the program tonight. I really appreciate it. And we'll get you back because we need to keep... Uh, this conversation going, whether it's uh, SMA Awareness Month or not. So thanks so much for your time, and best of luck to you and your family. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks for having me.
2: It's time for The Bedroom Bulletin.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. This last half hour, we typically focus on a little bit more intimate subjects, and I was just telling Leo that... Uh, Open up the lines, Leo, because I have a little prize to give away. I haven't given away a womanizer in a while. The number to call is one 877 9898 That's one 877 9898 Let me know why you think this little device would be good in your life or somebody that you care about. If you'd like to uh, offer this as a gift to somebody else, just give me a call and we'll enter your name into the... Um, We'll enter your name into the uh, bowl or whatever. Do we have something here? We can... <laughs> I don't know. I'm so tired. Anyway, <laughs> um, we will do that though. But I did, I was thinking about something else. Multitasking in the mind. That's something new. You heard it here first. Um, I was also thinking, like if you have a relationship problem. Your your um, name is going to go into the top part of the bowl. <laughs> So call me with your relationship problem and I am going to read some of the relationship issues after um, this segment. So you'll want to stay tuned for those because you might be able to relate to some of those. Anyway, give me a call. The number to call is one 399 9898 and you often hear, um, you know, when we talk about being intimate with somebody, we talk about whether we had sex with them or whether we made love with them. And, and, you know, sometimes I, c- I can hear those long married couples out there thinking, sometimes we have sex and sometimes we make love and, um, you know, but what does it really mean to make love and, and how can you have more passionate sex? Um, you know, and does not mean like if you're having sex, it doesn't, does it mean that you're not actually making love. Um, but all of this, quite frankly, is uh, semantics. But there is a certain connotation when we talk about people making love as opposed to having sex. But, but what is the difference? And, and does it actually matter? Um, because, you know making love is is another way of saying, you know, having sex. Um, but making love seems to be the more intimate. It seems to be the more romantic. It even seems to be the more spiritual. Um, and, and so it's also used because people don't like to say the word sex. Okay. They think that the term sex is crass or, or dirty or unappealing yet. You know, so many people have sex, make love, uh, want to have sex, desire sex, um, and so, you know, it's really it's really silly. But the term making love uh, likely arose out of the idea of this traditional courtship um, uh, from, you know, uh, so that people can be more comfortable. I have Betty on the line from Red Deer, Alberta. Good evening, Betty. Hi, how are you doing tonight, Maureen? I'm doing very well, thanks, Betty. How are you? Oh, <laughs> Can't wait to go good, to bed, though. Good. Yeah, I know it's been a really long week, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, you have no idea. <laughs> I'm just kind of interested in your little product there. I, I'm uh, I'm single at the moment, and uh, I'm just. Uh, needing a little pleasure in my life. So. Yeah, you know, sounds great. And, you know, you bring up a good point. Well, something I was thinking about earlier in the day was that, you know, the womanizer is a great device and, um, you know, it's a clitoral stimulation device, but, you know, being with somebody, I mean, it's a great replacement and sometimes, you know, you want your womanizer and not your womanizer, or sometimes, you know, you'd rather just a little afternoon delight or whatever, but other times we want to be with somebody. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily replace that, that intimacy, that connection. We're definitely going to put your name in the bowl, Betty. I really appreciate it. <laughs> In the proverbial bowl. Um, I really appreciate you calling in for the show, and I, I do hope you meet somebody if that's what you would like. Well, thank you. You have yourself a good night. You're doing an awesome job. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you so much. All right, you You too. Okay, do we have Una on the line from... No, no, but we do have the the callers lined up there. Um, Anyway, whether you make love or uh, have sex, it is really about the intention behind the sex. Some people do think lovemaking is considered to be deeper, um, more spiritual, that connection. Um, but, but really the difference is subjective because you can make love or have sex and basically feel the exact same um, about somebody. As I said, it is about semantics. However, if you feel someone is just having sex with you versus making love with you, I thought I'd give you a few little signs as to... Um, signs that are related to, you know, having a little bit more optimism that somebody is actually making love to you versus just having sex with you, if you will. I don't like that word just, but nonetheless, I just used it. Um, so if somebody initiates sex after an emotionally connective experience or a conversation, chances are... They might be making love to you. Um, if there's intense eye contact throughout the sex, although to be honest with you, that can happen with, you know, if you're friends with benefits or making love with somebody. Uh, it can be just a new relationship or somebody that, you know, really turns you on, but you don't want to. Um in fact I was thinking about that uh, I had somebody I was thinking about that I was in a relationship before and I thought you know it was, it was great it was uh you know it was a lot of chemistry I mean it you know it was um very sexually charged but did I want to spend the rest of my life with him no <laughs> Anyway, that was different. So, um, you know, in making love, there's a lot of kissing before, during, and after. Um, these the, some, the partner may hold you very close, um, but you may not have a partner like our previous caller who called in. And so if you would like a chance to win the Womanizer, the clitoral stimulation device, which is um, as good a replacement for somebody as, as anything I can think of, <laughs> and it's a $200 value, the number to call is one We will put your name in the proverbial bowl. Um, But if some people who are making love to you are gentle and affectionate, especially with how they caress you or how they touch you, chances are, you are being made love to Um, and of course, if there's a lot of touch beyond the genitals, uh, you know, for example, if they intertwine their fingers with yours or they kiss your shoulders or they rub your back uh, during intimate during intimacy or during sex, the chances are good that that is making love and you know, it's not about them. It's about you and that's mutual. And so if you're spending time together and you're trying to make the other person feel good, that's actually a very good sign that um, somebody is actually making love to you. I just want to read an email. Dear Maureen, do I have to call in to win the Womanizer? I'm too shy and I'm afraid somebody is going to recognize my voice. My boyfriend and I of 10 years just broke up. I'm desperately lonely. Is it possible to put my name in the proverbial bowl? Just Janice. Yes, of course, Jan- just Janice. We can put your name in the proverbial bowl. But if you want to call, the number to call is one 877 9898 9898 You can text there as well, or you can certainly email me also. So, um, Let's just say if your sex is a little bit more romantic, if they talk about that they say they love you during sex and cuddle with you afterward versus withdraw um, or just leave, um, chances are uh, you are being... um, you're with somebody who's making love to you but if you want to learn how to make love more passionately it is a great idea to connect with your partner prior to sex and because to be totally honest with you especially if you're in a long-term relationship making love starts long before you get into the bedroom and you actually have to have that emotional connection and that has to be building between you the two of you on a daily basis. Um, and it, it's really knowing exactly how you feel about this person. And, and when you're confident about your feelings about somebody, it's a lot easier to express those feelings through intimacy. You also want to learn about your partner's intimate needs. And that means spending time before sex to connect with your partner, you know, being patient with them, um, understanding where they're coming from, what kind of mood they are in. Um, you know, is it all about the busy, busy, the do, 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 you know, let's just accomplish this, do the checklist, or is it about taking the time to actually notice them, you know, compliment what they're wearing, or maybe they've lost a little weight after they took the vaccine or something like that. I'm kidding. Of course, there's no, (laughs) you can't lose weight, but you know what? I'm just going to try to spread that out there and then people will believe fake news. Hey, I heard that more, you know, if you take the vaccine, you lose weight anyway, um, but you know what? You want to talk about sex as well. And you want to talk about what makes your partner feel loved and connected in bed. And then do those things when you get there. And, you know, learn what they find romantic. It's not about what you find romantic, really. It's about what they find romantic. And sometimes we just have to get outside of ourselves. We have Les from Calgary, Alberta on the line. Good evening, Les. Les.
2: Good evening. Thank you uh, for a great show.
0: Thank you. Um, I mean, you're welcome. Little, <laughs> well, I'm a
2: little nervous because this is all. You know, I I love listening to your show.
0: Thanks. But
2: um, having a partner that um, and experimenting with toys is kind of intimidating for a guy, right? Because we're supposed to do all the work.
0: Thanks. Ex- what a toy. That's called ego. Well, sure it is, but it's, it's also fun.
2: But now I listen to this womanizer thing, and, and where do I get one? How do I
1: get one? It
0: doesn't replace you. It enhances no.
1: you. Yes, and you know what? It's, it's, it's fun in the bedroom because it's, it's that next
2: element.
0: And you don't even have to be there, Les, to be honest with you. I mean, this is something that your partner can use on her own, you know, and and, and it can increase sexual desire for you as well, because it actually gets women thinking about sex and, and enjoying uh, sex and also having the, um, the benefit of experiencing an orgasm, because even uh, women who uh have difficulty experiencing orgasm or primary anorgasmia can typically experience an orgasm with the womanizer. So it's a therapeutic device as well. Cool. Yeah, so we'll put okay. your uh name into the proverbial bowl along with the others. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll try to draw draw it out. My name, sure. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Well I I just love your show. Thank you. It's it's so it's it's you know it it's new age. It's it's, it's educational. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that. Without listeners, there would be no show. Am I correct, Leo, in that? Fair assessment. (laughs) Absolutely. Anyway, so we have one. We have one in Calgary, Alberta. Alberta. Um, You know, the other bit about advice for uh, helping you to improve your moves in the bedroom and making love more passionately is actually taking that time in bed. Slow down. Our lives are so fast-paced. We're doing so many things. But when it comes to making love, there's no rush and there's no finish line that you need to rush toward. And if you don't have time, of course, the Womanizer is awesome and that will help you. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.